She's the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Follow her voice, a straight dog and die. She's the push she brought from the Bronx, oh yeah. Don't be surprised if you want to listen twice. Make decisions, find the right choice. Know yourself better, find your own voice. It's okay if you need help today, because everybody needs a little push. From the push she brought from the Bronx, New York. Welcome, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. My name is Ellen Stewart, and I am the pushy broad from the Bronx. Welcome to my show, Recovery Recharged, with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. How you doing, Doc? I'm doing great. I'm really jazzed about this. Um, we've been waiting for a long time to really speak with our amazing guest. And there's a lot to cover, isn't there? There is. And it's the perfect month to do it, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, of course, what we're talking about is a celebration of pride. And there are many, many, many things to celebrate. There are also many things to be concerned about. You know, these are ever changing times that many of us never thought would be changing again, in a not so great way. But there's a topic that rarely gets discussed. Today, you're going to tell us about that, Ellen, right? Yes. Well, actually, look, some statistics, because it's important to know. According to the National Institute of Health, people who identify as LGBTQIA, they often face social stigma and discrimination and challenges that, that are not normally encountered by people who identify as heterosexual. And one of those challenges can be an increased risk for behavioral issues, including substance abuse. And we want you to know that we have answers for you. We have a clinician here. We'll talk about it. There is help out there for LGBTQ people suffering with substance misuse. And this is our guest today from the very famous Karen Treatment Centers, which is an internationally recognized uh, treatment center that is located in Pennsylvania, Florida, and Atlanta. Atlanta, they've been around for nearly 70 years, and they have a special LGBTQIA track that our clinician, Bethany Franklin, is going to tell us all about. And right before I bring her on, let me just give you her credentials. She is a lead family therapist at Karen Treatment Centers. She's a therapist specifically in the LGBTQIA program at Karen. And she is a licensed clinical social worker, a certified advanced alcohol and drug counselor, and a rainbow clinical specialist. She provides services to family members, patients, and LGBTQIA plus individuals at Karen. We are thrilled to welcome to our Pride show today, Bethany Franklin. Good morning, Bethany. Good morning, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. So let's start from the beginning. Let's talk about just some of the basics because people may know, but they may not know. Let's talk about the creation of the program and specifically, what do the letters LGBTQIA plus mean and stand for? Yeah, so I think that's a really great place to start. So LGBTQIA plus stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, 
queer, intersex, and asexual. And then we have the plus sign, and that really includes everybody else that is part of this community, like those who identify as pansexual, non-binary, et cetera. So it really includes a lot of sexual orientations and gender identities. So Karen is addressing this situation with the development of the new program. Can you tell us a little bit about that and when it started? Yes, so we have had a pride group at Karen for many years and patients were asking for more services. We saw a need for more services. So about a year ago, we started it in June 2022. Um, we developed a program, it's a track that includes three extra clinical groups a week, off-campus LGBTQAA meetings, alumni speakers that come in to speak with patients from this track, and individual support and family support for these patients as well. It's absolutely inspirational. Did Karen have a specific reason for developing this program? How did it come to be? So it started with patients really appreciating their time that they had with each other in that one group a week. And they were asking for more time and for more structured groups around topics that were really important to them. And our staff saw a need for that as well, that we needed to address spirituality components, that we needed to address family dynamics and the coming out process, that we needed to talk about reintegrating back into life after treatment. And that's really how it came about. We, we also know that about 7% of treatment programs offer programming like this, and it's even less for inpatient treatment centers. So it's a really important need that's out there. Dr. Patton, some of the clients that you deal with, and I deal with them as well, do you find mm -hmm. that these issues come up on a regular basis? Tell us a little bit about what you've encountered. Well, I, I, I want to just comment a minute um, because I think they do come up. And I think part of the reason they come up from where I sit, and Bethany, I'd love to hear your perspective on it, is somehow al along the way, somehow along the way, there was a shift. And I don't know what the shift is. I, I don't know if it was the shift in um, the fact that we're just not going to call different groups out, especially in, in and I'm just going to say it in AA, you know, but there was a shift once upon a time where I live in the Pacific Northwest, there were meetings or parts of meetings or even centers, fellowships that were set up for the LGBTQ plus community. And slowly, one at a time, they diminished, they went away. To the point now where in one of the most, I think, prominent cities when it comes to a supportive community, it, you are hard pressed to find a meeting that you can go to to talk about your issues. And when I bring it up, Bethany, people are like, man, you like so old school. They're like, dude, you know, like, yeah, you need to get with the time. We're all like inclusive. Well, you're not part of the LGBT community and you're not part of what happens when you go to a meeting and you really want to talk about an issue specific to you and you cannot. I don't know, Bethany, is that like, is that something that factors into this or not? 
I think it does in some ways. So I, I think that, you know, yes, as society, we should be inclusive of all individuals, including the LGBTQIA plus community. And I think that makes sense why some of those specific AA meetings were starting to disappear. But I think, you know, now times are kind of changing again. And, you know, the human rights campaign just declared a state of emergency for this yep. community. And I yep. think that we still need these safe places and spaces for this community to talk about specific issues that they're having that maybe a heterosexual or cisgender individual just isn't going to understand completely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, what you're doing is so very, very important because who, who here doesn't understand the absolutely destructive nature of being silenced. Anybody here want to talk about that? What happens when you're silenced? I mean, you you nailed it. We're hearing it. We're seeing it in the news. We're seeing it in certain states. We're seeing it in the way people are treated. You know, not everybody tunes into the L word. You see, or 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 get the or get or subscribe to the advocate. You know, this is not happening. You know, in my case, let's talk about Stonewall, but let's not. I'd rather talk about Marty Mann and how most people don't even know who Marty Mann was and what she did. But what you're doing, tell us about the power that it brings back to giving people voice, Bethany. I think this program and this track really, like you said, gives someone a voice. It gives them a safe place. They're able to talk about and take back their own autonomy that was maybe stripped away from them from family members or from society or from laws in general and we're able to put a voice to that and for others to share their experiences and not feel so alone and that's something that's really really remarkable and and just so great to see in my work with this community yeah it's also important to note, it's really important to note that there, like Bethany said, there are very few treatment centers that cater to a specific program and not just a track. And that's important to note, okay? This program was established in, in this track actually was established in June of 2022. And it was established specifically to meet the unique mental health and substance use disorder needs of the LGBTQIA plus community. It's also important to know that Karen, Pennsylvania is the first treatment center in the U.S. with the distinction of having qualified ITAP certified rainbow advocate educators, which is a really important distinction for this community. Wouldn't you say, Bethany, are you proud of that? I am so proud of that. Uh, we went through many, many hours of training with ITAP a lot of the therapists here on this campus are now trained as rainbow advocate educators and also rainbow advocate clinical specialists. Um, so we're just better able to, to serve the needs of this community and meet those needs and provide that affirming support that so many people need. What else would you say sets you apart in terms of this particular program? What are you most proud of? I'm really proud of the fact that we are able to incorporate family into treatment. That is a huge thing for Karen in general. And being able to work with family members that are maybe not approving of their loved one's sexual orientation or gender identity, 
um, and, and offering them education and ways that they can find support for themselves. And I'm really, really proud of, we're, we're doing workshops with this community, with our breakthrough staff. So we've offered a few day-long workshops where they're able to do art activities, focus on character strengths, do some experiential activities. And they really enjoy spending that time with each other and getting to talk about things they just can't talk about on their normal treatment units. Yeah. You know, what I love about this, and, and I really, I want to give you some kudos because for so long we have teased, we have tried to tease things apart in whether it's the alcoholic community, the, the drug abuse community, the, the, the addiction community, let's just call it the addiction community. We've tried to pull things apart. And I lost my mother to suicide, alcohol addiction, and mental, right? Mental, what I would like to call mental complications. That's what I call it, because you can't really even tease those things apart. But back then, we didn't want to do that. You know, back then, let's not address the fact that you put her on prescription drugs and then she drank and then all of a sudden you classified her. But see, what you did is when I looked at what you treated and I went in and I took a little deep dive in that. You're not holding people hostage. And what I mean by that is you're you're not forcing people to not come forward and be authentically true about what's going on. You're giving them a freedom and your treatment. I went through and I looked at what you're doing. And I mean, you had me at brain mapping, right? You had me there, but then you really had me when you got me down to neurocognitive services. This well, the is so comprehensive. I, I just thought, Oh, wait a minute, life skills. See, these are the things we're not talking enough about. And the LGBTQ, right, AI plus community, all of what we're talking about, they need all of this and they will get all of this. Is that not true? Yes, absolutely. They will get offered all of these services. Um, some of them take advantage of these services, others don't. And But it, it's an invitation. It's a freedom of choice, just like you said. And so they will get offered all of these services that are appropriate for them and that can help them sustain those life skills and that recovery process. All of these things are important. And 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 like uh, Dr. Pat said, I have the privilege of knowing Karen for the past 20 years that I am in the industry. Karen is the gold standard, the industry leader, which is why I ask for many clinicians and doctors from Karen as a major contributor here on Recovery Recharge, um, certainly setting, uh, setting their sights apart. And now with the inception of this new track, it is extremely detailed. But let's get to the nitty gritty. People want to know, heteros sexual people, LGBTQIA people want to know, what are the biggest issues that this section comes to you with these particular individuals encounter when they're seeking treatment and what issues are facing the community in general about addiction? So I think that stigma and discrimination are a huge issue. And sometimes those things even continue when someone enters treatment. 
So when someone's looking for treatment, they want to make sure that they're going to be safe, that they're going to be affirmed. And family rejection is a huge issue for this community. So our largest population of homeless youth in this country is the LGBTQIA plus community. Yeah. And a lot of people just have concerns. Are they going to be safe? Are they going to be able to relate to their peers in treatment? Is staff going to respect their pronouns, their gender identity? And some treatment centers do better with that than others, unfortunately. So I think those are, are some of the top barriers that these individuals encounter. Um, you know, another thing is, is part of the LGBTQIA plus community is this culture of dating apps and hookup apps. And a lot of times substance use is promoted on those apps and the partying scene is part of being, you know, with this community. So we have to kind of tease those things apart and integrate that into treatment as well, how we're going to navigate those things. I completely understand. And I see those issues in the clients that come to me all the time. Isolation, fear of being rejected. And most of all, most of all, fearing, fearing of being accepted by their families. So how is Karen handling that family situation? Tell us a little bit about that treatment program. So all families are offered the opportunity to be a part of the family education program in general. But if we find that a, a member of this track has a family that's really not supportive or maybe they're not out to their family yet and they fear that they'll be rejecting, we will do a little bit extra work with that family and talk about with that patient, are they ready to come out to their family yet? What do they need in terms of support from their family? And we will offer those family members resources to process their own fears, their own disapproval and disappointment so that they're not projecting it onto the patient. So we, we're sending them resources for PFLAG, for local community centers that have family support groups where they can go talk about some of these concerns and they're not putting it on their loved one yeah for people that don't know please tell everybody what p-flag is if you don't mind sure parents family and friends of lesbians and gays yeah um i want to ask you a question because I, this is really for me it was kind of exciting when i'm not really a little bit angry about it but then i get like really exciting about excited about it you know i i, I follow samsa a little bit you know part of a government you know, i followed them and and so I was kind of excited about their new grant opportunity because grant opportunities allows you to expand and grow. It's just so much there. I was also very disappointed that, okay, you know, like they're rolling out a program not even out yet, like July. You are so far ahead of the curve. What I mean by that is when our government or a GOV, let's just call it a GOV agency, for lack of a better word, is just catching up. What do they need to learn from an organizations like yours? Because you said something really interesting. If people choose to be part of it. Now, the reason somebody would choose not to be part of it, same reason that people that come back from war and get try to get psycho psychological help don't get it. Is it a stigma? What are they worried about? Are they worried about their privacy? You know, you can have as many grant programs, but but how do we get people engaged, Bethany? You see what I'm saying? 
I think that a lot of their hesitation is sometimes that stigma. Will their peers find out that they're in, engaged in this group? Who are they going to see them talking to? And they have a lot of concerns about that because of their past experiences with stigma and discrimination. So that's where we come in and do these individual consults and one-on-one -on -one sessions if they're not ready to join the groups or if they just need that additional support and provide that encouragement to just dip their toes in the water a little bit and, and check out a group, or maybe it's just going to the off-campus AA meeting because there is sometimes that hesitation or they're just not ready. I think sometimes other patients just don't see um, their identity as an issue for them that they need to work on, that they're here to focus on substance use disorder treatment rather than focus on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah. And doesn't it even get even more complicated when we take a look at culture and race and religion? You know, I, I work with some some young women who have religions that absolutely abhor this. I, any any conversation about alcohol, but then put that together with being a part of this community. They are so closeted in their own that they, they are trapped in their own cultural prison and they just don't know where to turn right because it isn't a one-size-fits-all every culture is different wouldn't you say that bethany yes absolutely and we're not going to be able to meet the needs of every single culture but we we can start we can try but like you said every culture is different and every culture has their own needs so yeah. just to make it clear just to make it clear, if one identifies as LGBTQIA+, that doesn't mean that they have to go into your track, correct, Bethany? They can choose to do whatever they want? Correct. So it's an invitation. We tell them about the track, we give them information on it, and we invite them to be a part of it. Um, sometimes they're resistant at first, and then they'll join later on in treatment. Some people join right from the start. So it's always an invitation. Can you give us an idea what the staff to patient ratio has been in this track since it's opened? Yes. So we've had um, at our most about 15 patients in the track at one time, and we've had about 210 total over the past year. And we have about five to 10 dedicated staff members for this track in addition to all the other staff members on that's campus. That's wonderful. And of course, we're talking about 18 years of age and over, correct? Correct. Yes, 18 and over. Okay. So based on the groups that you have already uh, encountered, can you give us an idea of some of the major issues? I mean, what's the number one thing? What do people say to you? A lot of people say, you know, I, I think the number one thing is I just don't feel comfortable being out to my peers on the unit. I've, I've lived in settings before where I faced a lot of harassment, a lot of discrimination, and I really want to talk about my relationship and group, but I don't want people to know that I have a boyfriend. I don't want them to know that I'm married to a woman. And so this track provides an opportunity for them to process through some of that. But it's a lot of concerns about that self-disclosure that we hear. And also just, you know, it brings up a lot of old trauma and old discrimination that they may have encountered during the coming out process to friends and loved ones as well. Don't so, you think that's also, can I ask you, don't you think that's also exacerbated by the latest state 
of events. I, I don't know what yeah. to call it. I'm going to call it latest state of events. Let's just call it that. But you understand what I'm saying. I mean, yes. we went yeah. from, I mean, go back a couple of years ago, we went from feeling really good. <laughs> You're right. Getting married, right? To now, oh, I, I don't even want people to know. I mean, how quickly, don't you think that environmentally, and I'm just going to talk about the United States right here, there has been a drastic, sharp change in acceptance Yes, absolutely. It, it, Like you said, it's been very drastic and we're seeing more and more legislation popping up in states trying to take away rights from this community, especially the transgender population. Oh, yeah. And it really, really contributes to a lot of that guilt and shame and internalized homophobia and transphobia that folks are going through. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It seems to be getting worse. And with the onset of 2024 and the new elections arising, it's it's a shuddering experience. I see it everywhere, not only with the LGBTQ community, but like we said, with human rights, with all of the legislation, even with my own population, the Jewish population, the anti-Semitism, it is, it is strong and it is rampant, which also always makes us turn inward. The isolation that we feel and when an addict is isolated and when they feel lonely and alone, that is a big red flag for anybody in active addiction. And that's exactly what happens, right, Bethany? Absolutely. Um, addiction loves isolation, right? And isolation loves addiction. And isolation really, really can contribute to someone's substance use disorder getting worse. It can contribute to more depression, more anxiety. And it's just not a great formula. And we are seeing this. People are turning inward. They're isolating more. They're scared to leave their house or just be open in conversations with people you know on the street about who they're married to or who yeah. who they're attracted to yeah and you know one of the other things too and maybe we'll talk about this when we come back is that we're talking about a community that came out to the world several years ago and you know if you are already out to the world you understand the freedom you also understand you're already out to the world. Can you imagine the level of anxiety shifting and change? You know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I have more people in the community that were really doing well in their programs, in their sobriety and in their recovery. And they are over the top now about the level of anxiety, pressure, and discrimination, and even the subtle kinds of bullying that they're experiencing now in the world. And, you know, we would be so remiss if we didn't make the point that these things are related. Drug abuse, alcohol, it's related to what goes on on the inside of us. It was related to fear. And in this community, Maybe we can talk about the sharp rise in that and how that has triggered so many to go back to drinking and using. You're absolutely right. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're also going to talk about practical help and successful outcomes in treatment, which is what everybody wants to know. You want to hear some tips and some suggestions. Bethany is here to tell you about it. We'll be right back. From the push it broad from the Bronx, New York.
Hi everyone, Dr. Pat here, host of The Dr. Pat Show. For about 20 years, you've heard me talk about silver and the importance of silver. I've been looking upside down and sideways to find silver that was the highest quality, and I think I've found it. No, actually, I know I found it. I discovered this in my own healing journey, and that's what we used for me. Amio Life has the most advanced silver available today. All things that harm our health is what it takes care of. Now, I thought I'd seen it all because I've been on this journey for 20 years with silver, but I've not quite found anything like Amio Life. The folks and our friends at Amio Life have put together a special discount for your first purchase of 20% off. Amiolife.com. A-M-E-O life.com. Remember to give them a call. Tell them Dr. Pat sent you at 1-800-422-8148. I've already sent it to my naturopath. Do you have long-term depression or anxiety? With the right tools, you can fully recover from the long-term effects of childhood trauma. Kimberly Beekman at Inner Alignment offers level one inner healing, coach certification, and soul retrieval healer certification. With this revolutionary neuroscience approach, you can experience profound shifts in only two months. To learn more about these offers and programs, visit KimberlyBeekman.com. Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on TransformationTalkRadio.com. From the Pushy Broad from the Bronx, New Welcome back, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart. This is Recovery Recharged with my illustrious co-host, Dr. Pat. And we are talking about Pride Month and LGBTQIA plus issues in recovery. And now we're going to get to the really good practical stuff. I'm, I'm here with my guest, Bethany Franklin, who is in charge of the LGBTQIA track at Karen Foundation Treatment Centers in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. And the track talks about specific ways to work out your struggles in addiction in this particular track. So let's talk a little bit about what your advice is on some practical, modern, applicable behavioral therapist that can they can utilize this when they're working with an LGBTQIA client. What's the first thing you would suggest for somebody working with a client like this? 
I my biggest and first suggestion would be it starts at intake. It starts during the assessment period, making sure that forms and questions you ask are comprehensive of sexual orientation and gender identity, that you're asking about pronouns, because we can't make assumptions. Um, and when we start to make assumptions about someone's identity or orientation, sometimes that puts the client off making sure that there are pride flags in your office to show that it's a safe space or a sticker from the human rights campaign. Those things can be very powerful and are just very subtle symbols to someone that you're a safe therapist, that you're affirming, and that you're able to best treat them. And if if you are part of the LGBTQIA plus community, and this is a spe very special month for, month for you, what kind of advice do you give people out there that are struggling in this particular community? How should they handle this month? Should they be, the, you know, how do they get out of being isolated? Give us some practical tips. So like you said, it is Pride Month. There are so many Pride events going on around the country, um, so many parades and um, shows and things like that. I would say just challenge yourself to put yourself out there, to start to attend some of these things. Maybe you go with a close group of friends that's really supportive. And if you start to realize that you're struggling or having some anxiety about it or struggling with substance use, maybe that's when you turn to a recovery coach or a therapist to help guide you through some of that. But really try to celebrate who you are during this month. It's a really a, a beautiful time for everyone for part of this community. So when you are taking on people in this particular track, what do you consider a successful outcome? What happens when they're finished here? What kind of goals do you think that they've been able to accomplish? So I think just like all of our patients, we want them to maintain that commitment to their recovery, but also a stronger sense of self-acceptance and a validation of who they are and being willing to go out into the world and be proud of who they are. Um, you know, setting boundaries with those in their lives that maybe haven't been so supportive, that would show another successful outcome. Um, and being willing to, to follow through with recommendations that they're being provided, just continuing in their recovery process while accepting who they are and reintegrating back into the LGBTQIA plus community with pride. You know, I was watching the Tonys the other night. I don't know if you got to watch them, Dr. Pat. I was watching the Tonys the other night, and I have always been very well connected with Broadway and theater and actors. And I was in the travel industry for such a long time, and I traveled the world with famous people, and I spent a lot of time with Marvin Hamlish and the Schubert Organization. And what I really loved about the Tonys the other night was that everybody was so unabashedly inclusive. OK, it was just one big happy family of people that didn't care who is wearing what, who is being what, who is doing what. And and actors were judged on their performances and not who they are or what their gender identities were. And I think that we all should take a big lesson from the Tony audience and the Tony community, because I think this is a way to become all inclusive. And Bethany, what you said is right. P Dr. Pat, don't you think that there's sometimes safety in numbers as well. And we should be associating with people that we're comfortable with just to 
give us the strength to move forward? You know, uh, so, okay, I'm not going to date myself, but I'm going to. Here's what I remember. I'm a kid that grew up in the Bronx. I was at Stonewall. I will tell you what really happened there. And I will tell you that there is an energy when people from all walks of life come together. I mean, I don't know if there's any of us left that were actually there that understand how how a lesbian woman would put in the paddy wagon and walk right out of it. But the point is, everybody was there. And we don't talk about that enough. The Bob Dylans of the world were there. There were people there to support something, and they didn't have a clue of what the bleak was going on. That's what I hope for. And I think that's, Bethany, what you're talking about. You, you are reaching out. You're, you have these tentacles, is the way I see it. And you've not really left one out that I can think of at the moment. You're capturing the insecurity of the person that really needs your service, as well as the insecurity of the person that is clueless about their best friend that's going through this. We have to come together in a way that we were together then and years after that. It's the same thing we did in the 80s when we saw our fellow fellows die, struggle, become unrecognized through AIDS. That's the part that I think you're doing. And being on a show like this and being able to talk about it, I can't wait till we launch our channel on this. I cannot wait because the conversations that are so important are the conversations where you're not afraid to say something that may not be politically correct. And I think we've gone too far in that direction to, to just be afraid that if I don't refer to you correctly, well, look, if I don't refer to somebody correctly, I'm going to say, my bad, I apologize. But if we can't come together and have a conversation and have a conversation with why what you're doing, Bethany, and you know, why Karen, what, what everybody is doing is so important and not be afraid to show up, we're not going to give the people that really want to come through the doors permission to not be afraid. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We have to stop being afraid of every word we say, everything we do, um, and help people experience confidence, courage. What do you think about that, Bethany? Absolutely. I think you're exactly right. We have started to become afraid of, you know, offending somebody. And I think that in order to best help somebody, we're going to make mistakes. Professionals in the field are going to make mistakes. Loved ones, peers, they're going to make mistakes. And we simply apologize and we move on from that and we learn from that. And I think that, like you were saying with Stonewall, um, you know, being this strong community is something that I think sometimes we start to slip away from as members of the LGBTQIA plus community. We need to get back to that. That peer support and that solidarity is extremely important, especially in recovery for someone struggling yeah. with addiction. Yeah. And yeah, I'll tell you what, I, that's why I am like, I am with the, with the, I can't even express what I'm feeling. In, in, the, in, in the halls of AA, NA, all the A's to say, please, people, we have to get back to this. We have to get back to giving safe space for people in multiple communities, NA, LGBTQ, AI plus communities to come into the rooms and be into the rooms with the people in their community to say things that 
you know what? You just may not understand. And we have to get back to that. And then people call me a separatist. I'm not even sure I know what that means. Ellen, you're going to have to school me on that one. <laughs> that's so ridiculous. That's but, a, that's but, a but, joke, but, right? But, With look, you, you want, a the, joke. Well, here we go. I'm sorry. The Tony Awards. Who won a Tony? There, Jody. Jody Comer wins a Tony. Why am I bringing her up? What was her character in Eve? What was her character? Well, who did she play? So here's a woman that comes off of playing one of the most controversial, loved characters, lesbian character, comes off, comes and hits Broadway and walks away with a what, Ellen? Tony walks away with the Tony, but I am talking about the first trans trans transgender person to win a Tony. Exactly. That by far was absolutely. I mean, I was standing up on my bed, jumping up and down. Okay, because this this person was fantastic when that when when they were in Glee, and they just did an absolutely sensational job, and I was just thrilled by how open everybody was. It was just an open outpouring of love and affection. Everybody got a standing ovation. Everybody had a wonderful time. Everybody thanked everybody for everything. And I just thought it was just a little microcosm of the way things were before all of this other stuff that is happening now that really scares me to death. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because like you, in many ways, I am, I also come before. All right. I was a child of the late sixties, a child of the early seventies. I'm the one that's watching people burn their bras and burn their cards and, and, and turning around and saying, um, sex, you know, free love, free, you know, free everything. No, um, uh, no worries about abortion. Absolutely abortion rights. We fought for abortion rights and all of those things. So we fought for, for gay pride. We fought for all of this. And to see us now being so afraid to go back into isolation and people our age now running away from it or cowering in front of it or all of a sudden changing their opinion about stuff that they used to really... Yeah go out there and fight for in the 60s, 70s, and 80s is, is a thing that, yeah. that is very saddening. That's why when Karen has the courage to do this, they should absolutely be applauded. Yeah, because- and Bethany, we thank Bethany, you. can you update us? Because I don't think people understand the degree by which we're talking about addiction in this community and, you know, and the cycle of it. Because we're not just talking about a community, we're talking about a community that's suffering, you know, from 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 a disease, not just a social disease like Elton John would like to talk about, but suffering from a disease and cannot get the help they need because what they're suffering from on the inside. How does how does this, the family system, all of this involved? How is this impacting? And isn't this really one of the fundamental bases you guys have come out so strongly in support of this community? Because you see the multiple layers of destruction that are happening now. Absolutely. There are so many layers that are happening. Um, like you said, people are changing their opinions on things. Family members that were supportive before are not as supportive now. 
people are losing friends, they're isolating more, and we really have to start to pull people out of this, um, have them reintegrate back into the community, have them get that social support. And, you know, addiction is so rampant in the LGBTQIA plus community. I think it's something like you're two times more likely to develop an addiction if you're part yeah. of this community. And it's even higher if you identify as transgender. So, you know, and mental health needs, especially mental health diagnoses go through the roof if you're part of this community. So we're just seeing more and more needs for the LGBTQIA plus community in terms of addiction support and mental health support as well. So tell us logistically, this track is, is it lasts as long as a patient is in treatment with you. So it goes on four weeks or six weeks or whatever length of stay they're in they're talking about yes so they'll be put into the track if they'd like as soon as they come into the door and then they're part of it uh usually about four weeks is average length of stay but we also have an alumni pride support group that we offer once or twice a month um, and they are able to join that on zoom from wherever they're at for as long as they'd like to and we have therapists that run that alumni group just to provide that extra layer of support once they leave treatment as well so what happens if somebody is looking to come into treatment and they seem to be a little bit resistant? What resistant? What would you tell them? You know, I would tell them that that's really normal and, and I meet them where they're at, right? They, they have a lot of concerns about what treatment entails, concerns about how they're going to have to change their complete lifestyle and make huge changes moving forward. And I would point out behaviors to them that haven't sustained them, that just haven't been super helpful for them. And where do they want to be in life? And how can we start to make some of those changes? And, you know, this is a small thing, but I would even set a small goal with them to just call a treatment center, to just talk to the admission staff and talk about their concerns, to talk to an alum that's gone through that treatment program to just hear how it's benefited them before they make a decision whether they're going to go or not go. Just setting those really small goals and providing that encouragement and meeting them where they're at is gonna be really, really important. Yeah, uh, look, I wanna just say something to you about this particular show and you being here. Thank you for being here. Thank your whole team for being here. Ellen, thank you for really orchestrating and making this happen. Because you see, we need more conversations like this. This is really the shutdown that we've experienced. And you know, I'm not gonna point any fingers, but I will tell you that Ellen and I, even to be doing a show like this, as long as we've done it, believe me, we have gotten some blowback on this. Because how dare you come out and talk about, how dare you announce to the world who you are? How dare you admit that you may have 30 plus years of recovery? And I think we just, we, 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 we cannot walk this talk and be silent. And you coming on here, we have to continue to raise our voices, right? Do, right? I'm not the pushy right. broad from the Bronx for nothing. <laughs> okay. It became a registered trademark because everybody said I was the pushy broad. So I decided to own it. 
And I said that to you four years ago, and now you know I have passed my 100th episode a couple of weeks ago in May. So we are going strong. We are absolutely going strong. And we are talking about the tough topics. And I I was grateful to bring a recovery program to the first one, I think, to bring the recovery programming to Transformation Talk Radio Network. And now we're moving into a whole new network of recovery program and recovery programming and I could not be happier and it is people like Bethany and organizations like Karen who have the courage to continue forward how do we find out about Karen what is the best way so we have regional resource directors all around the country and all of their information is on the website and they do a lot of networking as well to go to outpatient providers to go to intensive outpatients to um, even talk with family members they are planning on being at some of the pride events around the country as well to have a table and just provide this information. Um, if, if you're interested in Karen, you know, you can find all of their information on the website and they can offer some individual coaching and support to the family and to someone who's maybe resistant of treatment and just talk to the admission staff. And if necessary, a clinician or a doctor will get on the phone with a family member or a patient, a potential patient, to give them more information, to talk about any concerns, to help talk about how this program can be helpful and affirming for them. And just so everybody knows, it's Karen, C-A-R-O-N dot org. .org. So that's important to remember. And as always, the Pushy Broad from the Bronx is here to help you and direct you to treatment centers all over the country, especially those that she knows quite well to be upstanding places like Karen. So you can go to pushybroadfromthebronx.com. You can reach out anytime on my 800 number, which, as you know, is 800-889-1757. I am still doing free consultations to get started, and I will give resource information anytime you need to get help. So please reach out and do that. And again, it's Karen, C-A-R-O-N dot org. So let's talk just a little bit more about parents and getting parents on the side, even though, or loved ones on the side of getting into treatment. So what do you think parents should be looking for when they're looking to place their LGBTQIA person into treatment, Bethany? What do you think? I think that they need to call and find out, you know, what are policies around around this in treatment? Do they have a zero tolerance policy for bullying and harassment? Is their loved one going to be safe? Um, do they put someone on a unit that matches their gender identity or do they follow someone's sex assigned at birth? Um, And I would call the treatment center and really find out more information and they should be able to provide you details. There are some treatment centers that put a pride flag on their website and they say that they're safe and affirming. But when you start to ask questions, you find out that maybe that's not really the case. So I would ask specifics about how, you know, the treatment center is going to keep their loved ones safe, how they're going to provide them services that are going to be able to meet their needs. And what are some of these policies around treatment in general? Can you tell me how Karen handled those questions? How does Karen handle that? 
Yeah, so we we have a zero tolerance policy for any bullying, any microaggressions, any statements of hate or discrimination. If that happens, we might have to look at transferring someone to another treatment center because we have to keep all of our patients safe. Um, and we will, I occasionally get on the phone with, with parents and with potential patients to talk to them about their own specific background and and how can we help and what are your concerns and and let's talk about some of those things um and then in terms of if we have someone that's non-binary or transgender we put them on the unit where they would feel the most comfortable so we typically put them on the unit because we are gender separate here we have men's programs and women's programs but if they're trans or non-binary we ask them where they would like to go and that is where they are put and for a period of time karen was automatically putting those individuals in private rooms but what we found was that they didn't like that because it led to more isolation. They felt othered and separated. So now we ask, we ask um, incoming patients, would you like a roommate or would you feel safer in your own room? And that's how we handle that now. And how is the general population reacting to this? So far, we've had very few issues since this track started. We notify all patients when they come into treatment that you may be placed with a roommate that is part of the LGBTQIA plus community. And if you're not comfortable with that, we'll find a solution. We won't give you a roommate that's part of this community, but we notify them that that might be a possibility. And they usually say, okay. So we've, we've had very few issues from other patients in terms of this. Yeah, I, I wanna just point something out, which we didn't say directly, but it's implied. This is about saving lives. Let's just be very clear. Everything we've talked about, every bullet point we've made, every comment we've made, everything Ellen, the Tonys, this is really about saving lives. And we're, and we're talking about a community where the suicide rates are off the chart and we're only counting the ones that are reported. But isn't that what you're talking about too, Bethany, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone's life is valuable. And like you said, suicide rates are off the chart for this community. And we really do, everyone in society needs to do their part in keeping everyone safe and validate what someone is going through. And just specific to this track, because it's really important for people to know, it is not an occasional thing. These LGBTQIA people, this particular track, they receive three therapeutic groups a week. They attend off-campus AA meetings. They have on-campus speaker meetings. They attend specialized workshops. And any patient is welcome to attend this track if they identify as an LGBTQIA community. And again, this is groundbreaking for us and at a time that we really, really need it. So Bethany, before we wrap up, just leave us with um, a message for pride in this community. Just leave us with some experience, strength, and hope. Sure. So I would just say, be true to who you are. Be proud of who you are. You may have faced so many things that have told you to feel that shame and that guilt, but we are all human beings. We deserve to be treated with respect and we deserve to speak our truth and be who we are authentically. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Pat, why don't you take us out? 
Look, I want to thank all of you for tuning us in and turning us on. Bethany, I want you to make sure you thank all of the people, your team at Karen. Please let them know. I know we've just scratched the surface. It's a much bigger, much bigger. But if people go to your website, they will see exactly what we just talked about. Your services are extensive. I am so proud to be part of this conversation today. And Bethany, I want to ask you one question. What's your personal message? What do you want to leave us with today? My personal message is that I am very, very proud of Karen. I am a proud member of the LGBTQIA plus community. I am a proud family member in recovery as well. And, you know, just again, be true to who you are and support us out everybody. Happy pride. This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, saying thanks for listening. And remember, everybody needs a little push. From the pushy broad from the Bronx, New York.